0: Hi, and welcome to The Backlot. I'm Tova Leiter, moderator and director of the New York Film Academy Guest Lecture Series. In this episode, we will take an in-depth look at one of my great guests and hear about his experience in the entertainment industry. And now, Eric Connor will take you through the highlights of this Q&A. Hi, I'm Eric Connor, senior instructor at New York Film Academy, and in this episode, we bring you the man who killed Han Solo, Adam Driver. In just under 10 years, the immensely talented performer has worked with Spielberg, Scorsese, Terry Gilliam, the Coen Brothers, Spike Lee, J.J. Abrams, Steven Soderbergh, Barry Levinson, and Jim Jarmusch, who directed Mr. Driver in the lyrical indie film Patterson. But wait, there is more. He's been nominated for three Emmys as Hannah's sometimes-love interest in HBO's Girls, and he's returning to Broadway next year in Lanford Wilson's Burn This. And for my fellow Star Wars geeks out there, he even sang with Oscar Isaac, aka Poe Dameron, and Inside Lewin Davis. Eight,
1: nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. One second, please. please, Mister. I'll show you the dark side. I'm going to be totally honest with myself. I don't think I'm ever going to die. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. I would rather do nothing for the rest of my life than have my name attached to something mediocre. You're a hip chick, you kissed me, you're married to my friend, but I get it. The resistance is dead, the war is over, and when I kill you, I will have killed the last <laughs> Jedi. I need to breathe, don't need to be a widow. catch in the with kid
0: But before he worked with Hollywood's finest directors, Mr. Driver answered a more personal calling when he enlisted in the Marines.
1: I think it was right after September 11th, and I feel like a lot of people my age in middle America or maybe across America, but I can only really talk about where I was, really wanted to do something and be involved. And I hadn't gone to college and I didn't have a job that was really realistic. So it was a a kind of dual purpose. It was filled with like a sense of patriotism and wanting to get involved. Uh, not really sure what that meant, but also coupled with I wasn't doing anything like It was really a value or anything I was like proud of uh, to tell people I was doing. So uh, those kind of two things came together. And then it kind of informed everything about being an actor for me, I think. There are a lot of things about it where it's, you know, working with a cohesive team, you know, you have a role. You have a role within a larger group. It's not about you and your role. You you have to do your role well and know it and be proficient at it so everybody else can do a good job. And collectively, I think you see in a short amount of time the benefit of uh, discipline and self-maintenance and you know team effort. And there's somebody in charge like a squad leader. And when they're competent at their job, they're, what you're doing feels necessary and valuable and important. And when they're not, it feels dangerous and stupid and uh, a waste of time and a waste of your life and I think because of that I took away that you know life is precious you don't have a lot of time and uh, I didn't want to waste it you know so it, it applies to being on a film set where it actually takes the pressure off when suddenly you think that everyone's focused on you and there, there's so many other kind of unsung roles that are making
0: you look good or look make it look better or, or supporting you or not supporting you. Once he completed his military service Adam Driver turned his attention towards making his lifelong dream a reality. Uh, looking back, I think
1: I always kind of knew I wanted to be an actor. I just didn't really, like, uh, I didn't piece it together. Or I didn't have the confidence that that was a realistic job to do from where I was from. I was fr- from like, uh, well, I was born in San Diego, but I was raised in Indiana in a very small town which didn't really have a lot of acting opportunities. You know, it was like the local Round Barn Theater and like the South Bend Civic Center or something it Didn't seem like a realistic thing where you can actually have a family and be an actor because uh, Los Angeles and New York was the places that people were making movies and doing that. That seemed like going to Mars. But then when I, I think after I got out of the military, it was like, you're filled with so much Confidence, which is kind of false confidence, that compared to the military civilian problems will be really easily manageable, and like, because yeah, I know what you know. If it doesn't work out, I'll, I can you know live on the streets because it uh, can't be different than the mountains in California. So then I, I was lucky enough I auditioned for school here in New York and got in, and then went to school and graduated, and and kind of worked right away. It was, which was which was very lucky. I did a lot of theater and then did like little things in movies and. Uh, TV shows, and then um, they kind of just
0: snowballed from one thing to the next. As he made the transition from acting student to professional, Mr. Driver's youthful ambition helped his career just as much as his talent.
1: I mean, I feel two ways about it. Sometimes I feel like the the first play that I ever did, I because I was so naive and ambi- not, not not naive necessarily, but ambitious and like idealistic about what acting could be, and I w- in a cast of people who have been acting for a while. Um, uh, and And I could tell that the agenda, my agenda was like you know way different than theirs because I was still kind of in school. it was like a summer stock uh play or so in between semesters of my third and fourth year at juilliard and they um they were like it, the pressure and I was like oh it 's not all about the story. all we have to do is to you know tell the story and it 'll take care of themselves and they were like, what are you talking about like uh, i 'm wanting this job to lead to the next job and uh and i get I get that now in retrospect um but uh, surely the doing of it makes you... I I think if the opportunities that I got now would have happened for me earlier, I wouldn't have been prepared, and and I wouldn't have seen the other side of uh, you know the auditioning part and the being rejected and like you know uh, trying to filter out information that's useful and you know uh, things you don't like to do things you do like to do if I would have like jumped in and and had like a a monumental thing where suddenly it was so public so soon I don't think I would have been able to handle it so it was helpful for me but uh, but that's me some people probably have had the opposite thing and they're totally able to cope but yes repetition and doing it uh, is always best
0: Pretty much right after he graduated from Juilliard, Mr. Driver appeared on Broadway in the classic play Mrs. Warren's Profession. When asked about preparing for a film role versus a play, Mr. Driver explained that his process is surprisingly similar. This does
1: that sound like a bad answer, but knowing lines is my biggest thing. Like, But knowing lines, like first day of rehearsal for, for everything, no, going on set and not having to think about lines, that's a really big... Uh, you know, it all kind of depends on the uh, what the what it is for for a play. I just know that it's uh, the self maintenance is a more of a bigger thing because you're doing seven shows a week and you're telling the story with your entire body. Where um, as a film, it's you know isolated moments. But even then, sometimes on film, I, I, uh, I'm not so conscious of where the camera is. So. Uh, So I'm not thinking about that, so I'm not, you know, like, oh, it's only on my hands so I can relax everywhere else because I feel like it eventually, you know, you can kind of tell in in somewhere that you're kind of checked out in one area. So I don't know that it's dramatically different. The thing itself is so different. Like the pace of it is so, you know, you know, as a play, you get to rehearse it and get to do it every... You know, day for hours and hours, and for a month, and then you get to set six-month run. I, I always feel at the end of a six-month run of a play or a long run of a play that I, like now, I have a better sense of it. You know, like now, I wish I I could go back to the very beginning and do it now because it's so in my body. And uh, whereas a film that all of that time is compressed to hours, sometimes where you don't have weeks of rehearsal before you start, you have you know you're meeting people as you're shooting it. You know, it it's they're just so. They're so different, but the one thing that's constant is knowing my lines, and then doing as much research, if it requires it, you know, as possible. Just knowing as much
0: as 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 you can to be as comfortable as you can. Since finishing school, Mr. Driver's career has zigzagged from indie projects like Noah Baumbach's While We're Young to the slightly larger budgeted Star Wars sequel. In the indie film Patterson, Mr. Driver got to work with Jim Jarmusch, the auteur behind Stranger Than Paradise. A night on earth.
1: When you're a child, you learn there are three dimensions.
0: Your name really Patterson, or they just nickname me that? Uh,
1: no. My real name is Patterson. Height, width, and depth. Working on a poem for you.
0: A love poem?
1: Yeah, I guess if it's for you, it's a love poem. Like a shoebox. Then later you hear there's a fourth dimension, time. Oh, you're a poet?
0: Would you like to hear one? It doesn't really rhyme, though.
1: That's okay. I kind of like them better when they don't then some say there can be five six seven was your day okay well it was until the bus broke down this is patterson bus 23 i have a situation i knock off work have a beer at the bar
0: i look down at the glass and feel glad in patterson mr driver plays a poetic bus driver named patterson who lives in patterson new jersey it is a beautifully subdued turn that couldn't be more different than his work as Kylo Ren. It's a character that came to fruition thanks to his close collaboration with the director.
1: It was through a lot of rehearsals with Jim and the, you know, ideas that uh, he had about kind of a m- movie that's kind of anti-drama, where you would expect, uh, you know, the bus to blow up and it never does, or you want an answer about the twins that someone's gonna, or gonna come back and kill the dog. and. You know, I don't know. There's a thing, a reference, him being in the military at the beginning, and it's kind of an open-ended question that's never answered. So, you know, all that kind of... um, A friend of mine kind of described it as like this, um, you know, the banality of process, you know, that it can be... uh, Patterson, someone who structured his life so he can kind of go on autopilot. He doesn't have to... Uh, think about where he's going or the right you know button to push to open the door it's so on automatic which allows him to kind of float in life and and create and um be open to the things around him because his body he wears the same clothes every day he takes the same path to work he gets you know his wife makes the um you know she gets to create indoors and he's kind of outside creating you know so all those kind of ideas that are in the script, so and we kind of talked about. So I, I knew, I think, right away that there wasn't really much you have to put on to tell that story because it was so clear in the the repetition of things and in the details of the apartment and the props. You know how it was uh, set design by Mark Friedberg and the costumes by Catherine George. It was it was really just clear. I just was you know surrounded by people like Gulshir Farahani and. Um, where you just have to listen and be available and trust that do you know that thought is is cinematic
0: enough Actors have been known to do rather unusual preparation for a role losing weight, shaving their heads, bulking up. I think Daniel Day-Lewis may have even traveled back in time when he did The Crucible. But Mr. Driver might just be the first actor who prepared by becoming a certified bus driver.
1: I read a lot of poetry because poetry wasn't something that I had accessible to. Like I didn't really know much about it, or I had access, but I didn't, I couldn't access it in my brain. I mean, so reading a lot of William Carlos Williams and Ron Padgett, who wrote the poems for this, and um, that that was helpful. A lot of conversations through Jim. We had two weeks of rehearsal, which is kind of unheard of in a in a film. And then I got my bus driving license because, along with this idea of. Uh, his physicality being on autopilot. I didn't want to get there on the day and and limit the amount of shots that we could get where you have to sub in a stunt driver because we couldn't get this one shot if we didn't, um, if we had to sub in someone else driving it so I didn't want to limit Jim. Because also we're on him so much when he's, if we're following this idea that everything in his life is on autopilot and he's been doing this job for years then physically I should not have to look where the lever is to open the door, or know where the gas meter is, or know where the signs are, or you know know if the electricity is running low, or the tire pressure is right. Like these things should be on autopilot, but I only have a couple months to get ready. So I had to try to drill that as much as I, I could, and I thought it'd be helpful to get a driver's license so I wouldn't, so I'd be used to it, and know the stress of you know, driving. Should I have a pillow, should I not have a pillow? So, th- things like that.
0: This level of research helps Mr. Driver focus on his character while opening himself up as a performer, even if that means throwing away some of the choices he prepared.
1: I feel like once you've, if I've exhausted every option in my mind of, of you know, I know what the script is, I don't have to think about that. I know the bus, uh, how to operate a bus, I don't have to think about that. Uh, like I'm like ticking things off so when I get on set that I'm open to the other actors. What. I know their lines as well as mine, and I know what they're gonna say. The stressful thing about that is you can only, you can do as much rehearsal as you want to, or much uh, preparation as you want to, but you have to be willing to throw it away if you get on set and there's like something's wrong, you know, or there's a better idea, or the dog isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing, you know, which was quite often. You know, you have to be like, you know, everyone hated that dog. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, But I try to know as much as I can so I don't... uh, I'm not thinking so much, and I'm open to the other actors. Plus, I'm surrounded by, like, you know, William Jackson Harper, you know, or, you know, Shifta. So, like, all I have to do is listen to what they're saying, and they've they've made my job,
0: you know, way easier. He explained that his hardest role yet was actually for Noah Baumbach's upcoming Untitled Project, even though they worked together on multiple films. Mr. Driver was not quite ready for the toll this part would take.
1: I I just did something actually that I would say is the most um, emotionally challenging role. Noah Baumbach and I just did something at the start of this year and I didn't prepare for it. Maybe that's why it was as challenging as it it was. No, I did prepare, like I prepared, but I I didn't realize it was going to be as emotionally challenging. But it was good for me because I don't know how you would have prepared for that. You know, you can't really... Think of things of like this is emotional so I have to play it emotionally. I don't think you can think of emotion. Sometimes it happens and sometimes uh, you're not. If you're lucky you're with people who you know if the story calls for that you certainly don't play it and if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen you know but uh, if you have a great scene partner they make it a lot easier and if you have a great script with a great director then uh, I and mean, they're all kind of challenging. I always take them all too too seriously, and then uh, I feel like I failed, and then uh, I go home. <laughs> just a series of just anxiety attacks and yeah, disappointments. Yeah.
0: The one part of acting that Adam Driver does not find difficult is memorizing lines. Well, at least if they're good. Is it hard to learn lines?
1: Well, it is if it's, uh, if it's not well-written. If it is well-written, then you're not memorizing lines, you're memorizing ideas and, like, the, uh, and thoughts. And thoughts are easier to memorize than, than your lines because they all make sense and lead to the next thing. If it's bad then the, or people aren't relating to each other, it just makes it way different because you have to like, piece together an incoherent thought. You know?
0: <laughs> Mr. Driver has been at this for only 10 years. And yet he has already worked with a virtual who's who of America's greatest directors. So when asked about the differences between Jim Jarmusch and Martin Scorsese, Mr. Driver explained that he was far more impressed by what made them similar.
1: I think what they have in common is they're very, and what I think all great directors have in common is they're so... You could easily imagine that you're Jim Jarmusch or your are Scorsese, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it, and it'll be right because you're that, but they're the exact opposite, that they've um, they created an environment on set where they actually hired you for your opinions and and they're not expecting to just you know, railroad everybody and it be a dictatorship. It's very much open to what feels right for you because they're hiring you for your instincts and your insight and your perspective and point of view. And I, there's no ego telling you where and what uh, you should do. Their energies are just totally different. You know, like Scorsese's, you know, really fast and has is, is this encyclopedic knowledge of film, and but they're both very interesting and interested uh, people. Like uh, Jim is really interested. Last time I talked to him was about, he's really interested in like trees and, and like how different regions are like growing different trees and how the wood produces something different in guitar sounds. And that's okay, you know, <laughs> that's not my... Uh, they're just, uh, and uh, silence, you know, is like a Portuguese Jesuit priest. It's not like a big blockbuster uh, kind of theme and like, you know, b- a bus driving poet. It's not like a huge, uh, it's not a money-making enterprise, you know. They're deeply committed people to their craft, which is also helpful for me because then it, I feel like where you are now as a student is kind of like, as I was saying, it's like the most idealized version you have of being an actor. It's so full of optimism that you have yet to hit the part where the brick wall of, you know, people telling you this or that, but then when you meet people who actually embody, you know, the, the things that made you excited about being as an actor in the first place, then it's always kind of empowering. It's kind of maybe overdramatic, but it, it's comforting to know that uh, there's people out here who take those details specific and they don't take the job that
0: they're doing for granted. No matter who he's working with, Mr. Driver, and all performers for that matter, need a director with a real understanding of story.
1: What things from a director help you give a better performance when you're acting for a film? Competency, uh, clarity of story, that's a good question, I mean those are two answers. It's hard to say because it's so different from every, and they communicate in different ways. Like Terry Gilliam is such a visual director that sometimes he can't articulate what it is that he's trying to say. But then you get on set and you're like, oh, I get it. And and it's such a different thing that it's like, um, it's a different way of communicating. But maybe that's it, communicating, I guess. But again, a thing that they all have in common is they're so specific about the story they're telling. There's a great quote, and I can't remember who it is, if it's like a, a Godard quote or but it's like uh, making a movie should be as urgent as taking a piss, I think, where, it, where it's like it's that urgent that you, you have to get it out, like you, you have to move, you have to like get it out of your system. And again, I've been really lucky enough for working with people who have, who have that, that kind of energy and at the same time are crystal clear about the story they're trying to tell and they all articulate
0: it completely different ways. At this point, Mr. Driver cares far more about who he gets to work with than what a project would do for his career or for his bank account, for that matter.
1: I don't think of it as like an opportunity or what it's going to do for me because I, I know that's kind of wasted energy. I, I, I knew that right away. I, I don't know why, but I, I always knew, I never thought of like, this is going to be big and it's going to leak because I got to do the job. And, like I, and it could be bad. It could just as easily be. So I don't think of it at that time. But, you know, for me, I just knew that I, have to structure my life that I live within my means to allow me to do the things I really want to do, which are director-driven, you know, films. You know, I lucked out with other things where they pay you on top of acting, but even those things was for me a director choice. You know, those for me are have more value. They're easier to talk about. They're easier to show up to work. The people are just better. It's, for me, I, I don't think of things of like unsure. I only go with no-brainers. You know, if you if you want to. Do you want to work with Jim Jarmusch? Yeah, yeah. Scorsese? Sure, you know, that's a, that's a no-brainer to me. Soderbergh is doing, yes, yeah. That sounds like it's gonna be more interesting and creative and regardless of what the money is, don't do it for money, but I mean, you have to live, so figure out a different way, you know, and in a way that, you know, I can say that now, but I know that's easier said than done. So I've been lucky, but some people don't get that, but that's how I think.
0: As a former Marine, Mr. Driver wanted to bring the power of the arts to his fellow servicemen. In 2008, while still at Juilliard, he founded the nonprofit Arts in the Armed Forces. Its mission statement is to provide high-quality arts programming to active-duty service members, veterans, military support staff, and their families around the world, free of charge.
1: So I started this nonprofit, my second year at Juilliard where we tried to like bring theater to a military audience contemporary American plays and I kept getting a response from pre-existing veterans organizations that theater didn't fit a military demographic that they would rather see you know San Diego Chargers cheerleaders and uh, which is great I mean cheerleaders are great but um, I felt that considering like our occupation even at the time I remember those events and I like, thought we could handle something a bit more thought-provoking <laughs> Uh, the dance numbers. Well, I mean, which I. No, that's not what I mean, dance numbers. Just like over, like, sexualized, you know, mindless kind of entertainment. That, like, a shepherd play would actually maybe indirectly arm a subculture that is, you know, mostly told that they won't understand theater because it's really for people who have gone to college or live in New York. That somehow that'll give them, kind of, arm them with a means of self expression that they're told that they won't have access to because of where they're from, which I think is bullshit. So we tried to create this project where we, you know, like a traveling theater troupe, we go to different military bases and, like, hospitals and overseas and and chow halls, uh, hospitals, and just read contemporary American theater that is not military-themed at all, and, like, Shepard and Kushner and, uh, Denitra Vance and, you know, all these, like, uh, great playwrights, you know, and then they, they tell us about the material in a way. So we've been doing that for 10 years.
0: When Mr. Driver transitioned out of the Marines, He discovered an understanding of his own complicated emotions through the writings of Tony Kushner and August Wilson. Arts in the Armed Forces is now doing the same for others.
1: From a theater background in Indiana, I didn't really know much about these great playwrights and suddenly coming from the military and filled with kind of like this a lot of anger and resentment and like, you know, trying to adapt as a civilian. For the first time I was reading these plays that had nothing to do about the military at all, but were somehow articulating my military experience in a way that before to me I couldn't uh, describe and that felt very like calming to it it, I I, you know came from an environment where you know using your words to describe feelings and because of which you're surrounded by a bunch of guys who can't articulate themselves and I could see how aggressive we all would get because of it and and saw the value in having language as a uh, not necessarily weapon but as a tool to use to you know open up the doors for lots of things using language and, and through theater in particular because it's so um, the writing's so good you know reading an August Wilson play it's like you know it has nothing to do with uh, the military but somehow it's describing it in this indirect way that I couldn't have described before and that to me was very empowering you know so I wanted to share that with the people that at me at the time were the closest uh, still to me which was people in the military and I saw how they still like this like language is not <laughs> their first go to especially post deployment where Everyone's trying to process what's happening and they can't really name what it is. but you know you read a Tony Kushner play and, and you know, a diner scene talking about, you know government. and, and really he's talking about guilt. you know, there's we did this one speech where she, he's reprimand this woman is reprimanding her her female employee for not wearing a bra, not following the dress code. and I picked it because it was funny, but the military audience that we showed it to, the, the men were coming out of it being like, Thought the whole thing was good to go. I just thought that that one piece was an indirect attack on our structure in the in the military. Why like we have a dress code for a reason. And the female Marines were coming out of it being like, I loved all the whole thing, especially that monologue because I know what it's like to be a female in a male-dominated society where you have to wear your hair in a bun and hide it under your cover, and it, the uh, uniform is very you know straight and hides you know any kind of gender. Uh, So it was, you know, they they pick things indirectly and and tell us, as I was saying, about the play more than why we picked it sometimes, and why not arm the people that are protecting our country with a new means of self-expression.
0: Mr. Driver's journey from the heartland to the military to Juilliard, Broadway, TV, cinema, and a galaxy far, far away is inspiring. The fact that he's giving back makes him even more impressive. If you want to support Arts in the Armed Forces, please visit their website, aitaf.org. We want to thank Mr. Driver for talking with our students, and thanks to all of you for listening. This episode was based on the Q&A moderated and produced by Tova Leiter. To watch the full interview or to see our other Q&As, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash New York Film Academy. This episode was written by me, Eric Connor, edited and mixed by Christian Hayden, our creative director is David Andrew Nelson, who also produced this episode with Christian Haynan and myself. Executive produced by Tobin Leiter, John Sherlock, and Dan Mackler. A special thanks to the media content, veterans, and events departments, and the staff and crew in New York who made this possible. To learn more about our programs, check us out at nyfa.edu. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next time. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, 6 five, 4, four, three, two, one, one second please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh-oh. I don't want to me shoot into outer space. I Kennedy. Uh-oh. I don't please don't through. shoot me into outer space. Me in the space. Oh, me in the oh, 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 oh. Outer space. Outer space. Oh, 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 oh. Uh-oh. I don't shoot me into outer space. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Oh, no. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh-oh. Oh. Please don't shoot me into outer space. Please. Mr. Kennedy, don't shoot me into outer space, please, Mr. Kennedy.